podcast. This is Scott Simmons, co-owner and creative director of The Scare House, currently in a hotel room in Columbus with three very nervous people all looking at me, wondering what's going on. The person to my right is... Hello, I am Jennifer Dallas, a Scare House actor. Yes, and the person to my left is... Alan Hops, a haunted house guy and director at Dark Hour Haunted House. And the person sitting uh, a little farther away on the bed is... Shannon Hops. I keep Alan Hops alive. <laughs> there you go. So uh, we are here in Columbus at the Midwest Haunters Convention. And uh, this should be fun because everyone is... I'm not being playful. Everyone's looking at me like I'm a crazy person, which is, you know, kind of standard, standard. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, not only this is fun, but I do not believe everyone here has basically met each other all of four minutes ago. Although Alan and I have known each other for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, Alan, how would you describe what you do for a living? Boy, uh, now my life is pretty much, I'm the director at Dark Hour Haunted House. We have a year-round format, and we change our show completely, and we do eight different shows a year. So we do the big Halloween show, then we do a Christmas show, then we do Valentine's, and we do a St. Patrick's Day show. Uh, and so forth up until July is our last show of the year. We have about 15 to 20 people who their sole job is to get that show flipped over and turned into the next show for and that's the way we can keep customers interested in our one space year round. And I've been to I think it was a year or two ago I was at a really uh, incredible not saying that uh, not exaggerating a seminar that you had done just the amount of thought and and planning and process that goes into Dark Hour in terms of creating this year-round uh, experience. And uh, sort of putting you on the spot here, but one of the things that's remarkable is you're doing this this haunted attraction that is open a variety of times throughout the year. But if you could speak to this, like narratively, you've actually, your team has sort of developed this whole idea of it's not just like randomly opening every couple months. Like it's all, each one of those individual openings is telling a larger story. It's all one big story. There is the Dark Hour Coven of Witches is the main characters basically. And a different witch will rise to power at different times of the year. So there's 13 witches, which is one witch basically for every month of the year and uh, a head witch, a leader witch. So... There's there's the leader, and then at each other time of the year, another witch rises to power. And then it's her chance to bring on the Dark Hour, which is a magical eclipse, which will let witches and monsters rule, if they can pull it off. That's cool. And each show, I mean, I've never been to the show. I'm just speaking it on in terms of things I've seen you do on social media and the seminars. Uh, each show is radically different. Like it is not just a matter when you're doing a Christmas show, you are not just throwing some some Santa hats on existing characters. Like there's a lot of thought and process that goes into it. Correct. Uh, the general theme for each of our shows is there's the head witch, and she has three. She has two types of minions that we use, and then there is one type of enemy. So let's just say our July show. There are um, that witch is Baba Lupina, and she is the mother of werewolves. So, and she's a very interesting witch. She has six exposed breasts. That when you first see her in the show, you walk into the foyer, 
and she is suckling a wolf at the teat, and then she weans him, and you know, then that wolf then attacks the group, and that's a big stilt werewolf. Um, but she, there's her, and then of course there's werewolves and wolfmen. That's one type of monster that's throughout the show, and then she has a gypsy clan. That's that's one group of people that work with her. So there's gypsies and werewolves are the two people who attack you, and there's a protagonist group, I guess, that is English werewolf hunters. So they're very like the hunter from Jumanji. You know, they're all in their their khakis (laughs) with their crazy mustaches and big muskets and stuff. And they're kind of spaced throughout the show to give a little bit of exposition. And, you know, they're trying to barricade and they're trying to put down her reign. But every show has a group that's kind of against uh, whoever is in power. Sounds like a game almost. Um, it's it's just fun. It's a way to create interest. You know, a little more drama than just something jumping at you all the time. You should yeah. get a scare about every ten feet. You know, and of course the the protagonist or the helper people they will get scares in too. But that's by showing up in a surprise. You know, come with me, come this way, that kind of stuff. And I'm going to go backwards a bit. Uh, so you know, right now you're working at Dark Hour, but. How did you? How and when did you get started with the wacky haunted attraction industry? I am. I consider myself very, very lucky. I have a lot of people who are my age who are like, "Man, I really want to start getting into haunted houses and haunting." And I say, "Well, get used to being poor for a while, you know, <laughs> because you honestly." To start at 45, when you have this great computer job or whatever, and you want to switch over, that's it's an alien world, you know, and you're just not going to make a ton of money unless you. You're just not going to make a ton of money. Yeah, you know? I, yeah. I, 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 I was don't, like, I'm not I'm even going to know where this unless. I'm not even going like, to say yeah. unless you because it is three in 500 people who make a living year-round in haunted housework, maybe? Honestly, if even. I've always said like two... I don't even know if it's like three. I I think three in 500. Maybe. Three out of 500 who want to do. Which, and forgive me, I've, I've said this on the podcast before, people say... Uh, this is somewhat of a riff on uh, a blog post that James Gunn, the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, said a couple years ago. And he w- he was using this analogy in, ta- in terms of talking about becoming a director, becoming creative. But I use this analogy a lot um, when he says, oh, you know, running a haunted house, it's not like brain surgery. It's like, yeah, it's actually a lot harder because, you know, you say there may be like 300, 500 people who are making a full-time living off this. I personally think it might be even less than that, but there are actually probably more than 500 brain surgeons in the country. So, like, (laughs) making a full-time living as a brain surgeon is actually a little bit easier than making a full-time living as a haunted house guy or a woman. Um, But I started, there was a haunted house near my grandmother's house when I was 10 years old. And I walked down and I said I wanted to scare people. And it was in a weird office building. Looking back, it's super sketchy to begin with. You know, no ten, no mother would let their 10-year-old in there now looking at it. But it was an office building. They took a ceiling tile out. Oh. I sat on a wall. I was The wall was six inches wide. If I fell backwards, I fell into the room behind me. Yeah. You know, so yet I precariously balanced on this wall with a spider at the end of a fishing pole. And as a group That's walked fantastic. by me, I would just drop the spider down. So at 10 years old, I kind of became addicted Wow. And I haven't missed a haunt season since. Oh, wow. When I was 14, 
I went to the Chiller Theater Horror Convention in New Jersey. Uh, it was in Hackensack, New Jersey then. And John Denley was there, oh, and he man. had just started Fright Times Magazine. Oh, man. And it yes. was, it, it was yeah, Fright absolutely. Times Magazine number one yeah. was there, and Terror on Church Street was on the cover. Oh, and respect. in having a conversation with him, I, I probably looked like the biggest idiot ever. Now that in retrospect, but, uh, hey, I'm 14. I was supposed to be dumb. Uh, but in talking to him, it was, wait a minute, this is a magazine for the haunted house industry? And he's like, yes. And I said, it's an industry? Mm-hmm. And he said, mm-hmm. yes. And then my life path became very clear. Yeah. Um, the two summers later, I took a road trip from Maryland to Baltimore, Maryland, basically, to Orlando. And I applied at Terror on Church Street. Oh, that's fantastic. I applied when I was 16. Uh, that summer that I was out of school. Mm-hmm. I graduated at 17 from high school. Okay. So I graduated and moved down five days after my graduation and started the job at Terror on Church Street as an actor. Wow. So I it, did was, not it was know that. that magazine, and I worked at Terror on Church Street uh, 95 and 96. In 97, I started at Skull Kingdom, which oh was my God. I did not know another this. year-round haunted house yes. in Orlando. So were you working with, so you would have been working with like David Clevenger. And, David Clevenger, yeah. Rosie Alexander, oh Alan goodness. Ostrander, all at Terror. Alan, yes. Um, and it's... It's really cool because a lot of the guys that I worked with there at Terror Church Street were still in the industry. You know, Terror's yeah. no more. It's kind of scattered. But Terror, and Skull, Terror on Church Street and Skull Kingdom were really great places to grow up. Yeah. Because really that's where I figured stuff out. And both great haunts, but I think Terror on Church Street in particular is such the... I, I can't even oversell just how significant that is for... The on, modern haunted attraction. On industry. Everybody who went through it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it taught me what direction was. Yes. That place had a director. Nothing yes. happened willy nilly. Um, there were fans to blow the fog the right direction. Yeah. So that the fog just didn't go everywhere. You know, there was there were there was a, a blower on the wall to make sure that the fog stayed kind of low. They just did it with air currents. Mm-hmm. And just so many different things that yeah. were just well thought out. And that taught me what direction. And that those lessons I use all the time. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, and for me personally, and I may have talked about, I'm sure I've talked about this at various points on early editions of the podcast. But uh, so Terra and Church Street, the original version was in Orlando, in Church Street, a sort of big mixed-use development that existed uh, it's still there. It's sort of a shadow of what it once was. Church Street Station is a tourist trap. You yeah. know, they've got the Rosie O'Grady's bar yes. with the can-can yeah. dancers. There's a lot of bars and nightlife, and it's uh, it's a neat area, but mm-hmm. it's on the decline. That's yeah. easy to say. And it's, you know, once because there was a point when both Disney and Universal were just focused on the family audience, and if you wanted a drink or if you wanted something slightly more grown up or adult that's what church street you know that it served that need and then once disney went oh we could serve booze too well then you were kind of stuck yeah they opened pleasure island yes. and it just started tanking yeah and but i cannot for myself especially but i know a lot of other people like we've been talking about um for me it was that first experience of going through a haunted attraction and seeing a grown up haunted attraction of seeing that level of 
cinematic detail that exactly what you're talking about the direction and adults and very sort of realistic uh you know now i mean i've looked at photos and videos and it's a little dated but just a complete cannot oversell just how much of a seismic influence that attraction had on so many people in the 90s who you know a lot of the people who are in the haunted house business are theme park nerds we'd go to orlando we'd go whatever like oh what's this church street thing expecting it to be sort of a tourist trap expecting it to be sort of something and then going like oh wow this is real art and really scary i mean and it was so good. the most important thing to me was it was a business yeah oh 100%. it was they were real they yeah. had flyers and pamphlets and you know you even as an actor there i always got a thrill whenever i went around orlando and i saw their little trifold and all the lo- yeah. their lobby card basically yeah and you'd see that stuff and it's like oh these they they've they've got it down they know what they're doing and I and I mean I remember going to Transworld in the late '90s and going to a David Clevenger seminar, and I am not kidding. Even though that seminar would have been the late '90s, there were things he said in his seminar about marketing that we're still doing. You know, Scarehouse is still doing now. Like I could absolutely draw a very short line from something David said in a seminar that I saw in Transworld back in the '90s to what we're doing with demon and demon appearing at different appearances and everything else like cannot oversell it yeah and various characters yeah absolutely so that's getting back to you Alan that's that's a real commitment for you to be able to say like oh there is a year-round haunted attraction in Orlando that's what I'm going to go do yeah I when I moved after graduation it was it was five or six days after my graduation I didn't have everything that I needed uh, I wasn't quite ready, but mm-hmm. they they said I could start. So I drove a moped from Baltimore oh, to on. Orlando uh, with a army duffel bag of all my stuff on it. And then two weeks later, my mother drove down with a U-Haul truck with some furniture and some things. Come on, that's I was ready. Yeah, I was ready. That's wow, commitment. yeah, but but I'm you know I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. My advantage in life has been I know what I want to do. I yeah. have. I have a path. You're so lucky. I, I had a a moment of clarity when I was 18 and making $8.50 an hour. And I said, well, my goal was to be a year-round haunted house actor. What wow. is next? Wow. You know, but they had to kick me out. It was because I'd work my 40 hours and then I would volunteer 20 more. Wow. Um, either working in the show or um, the reason why I make masks now. I make masks because I unpacked... Um, all the masks for the gift shop at Terror and Church Street. Oh, they had, oh, the I think, I one of the, the best gift shops the industry's ever seen. Yes, one hundred percent. Because the gift shop was themed and it was right, and yeah. there were, you know, the shelves were coffin shelves. Yep. And it was all black and red, and it was, it was, it was beautiful. It was very well done. Is yes. what I'm trying to get across. Yeah. But I would unpack the mask, and every mask that I opened up from Don Post or whatever went on my head before it went on the wall. You know, and then I put it on. I'm like, I can't see or breathe. This sucks. And then I take it down and put on the next one. What is? What do we need? We need masks that people can see and breathe out of. So I started making those. Yeah, you got to make your own. That's fantastic. And then um, Skull Kingdom for a lot of people, incredible facade. Uh, the building is not around anymore. It's it's for for more. Uh, younger modern audiences it was along international drive very close to the whole universal mega compound but that 
facade. I mean, how would you even begin to describe the facade? It was Castle Grayskull. I don't yeah, have to it describe really it. It was Castle Grayskull. Yeah, full they scale. built Castle Grayskull full scale out of styrofoam. Uh, yeah. Um, it, it was That's really cool. cool looking. Really yeah. neat. Uh, it was a tourist trap. Yep. It was not on the same par at all. It was actually, all of it was designed by the designers at Ripley's. Interesting. Okay. And uh, there's a guy named Jimmy Doyle mm-hmm. who would, he designed all of the Ripley's walkthrough attractions, and I was hired on when they were first. You know, we were, they were getting built. I helped build it mm-hmm. uh, because they were underway, but they still needed. You know, they knew they were going to be late. You know, getting open, multi-million dollar project, oh. huge, huge building, huge expense, and it was so terribly wrong. Yeah, the elevators are upstairs, and the the, the bathrooms were in the upstairs in the middle of the show because they're thinking you're going to casually walk through like you do Mm -hmm. a Ripley's museum. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, They had a shooting gallery mm -hmm. in the middle of the show where they want you to stop and put quarters in and shoot like in the middle of, of, and they they really did not get the haunted house concept. No. So a, a lot of what was there was there because they just didn't get it. And then we had to kind of work around it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was me and a people, some folks who had done haunted houses before, to say, we really have to fix this. Yeah. You know, and they were open for two weeks. Then we shut down for two weeks so we could fix it and make <laughs> yeah. it at least a, an okay haunted house. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a fourteen thousand square foot show. Oh wow! Yes. And it was on two floors. Um, it was, it was a great place to grow up and learn. Mm-hmm. You know. So once. Uh, once Skull Kingdom closed, what, hap- what happened next? I actually left either 2000 and 2001. I think it was 2001, New Year's Eve, I stopped working at Skull Kingdom. Mm-hmm. They sort of meandered on after that, mm-hmm. and they ended up closing down maybe 2005. Oh, that's right. But that's right. it okay. got yeah. really bad. There was like a magician show in the back that pizza oh, and beer God, sorry but I remember this yeah they they got really bad towards yeah. the end yeah they had a couple of owners who it just passed from person to person mm-hmm. and the last owner he was pretty terrible I mean they were running that whole show on three people oh, three the, actors oh. yeah. yeah yeah to give you to give you an idea that would be that would be like running Scarehouse on three people not good. Could not be done. Could not be done. No. Not well. Not well. well. It could not, not well. be done well. It probably yeah. could be done. Do we, but it do we have time for me to tell a funny story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so at at this point, we ran a nine-man crew in the day and a 13-person crew at night. Okay. So me and my friend Dan Caro, uh, who now is the artistic director at Gatorland in Orlando. Okay. Um we were just coming in to pick up our checks. It was right after lunchtime. And Trevor, uh, who, he was the general manager, he goes, can you guys help us in the show? We're like, what's the matter? They all went to lunch. Because they used to break for lunch. <laughs> Everyone went to lunch at the yeah. same time, and they thought, well, they can't open back up if we're not there. We'll just take yeah. a long lunch. So instead of taking 30 minutes, they had already been gone an hour. Oh, Wow. So we said, okay, when's night crew coming? Four o'clock. It's like one thirty. Oh, wow. We'll do what we can. So we, it was, we need 10 minutes to organize this. Yeah. And Dan and I covered the downstairs. We had a greeter spot at that point in time. 
So he was the talker, and he would guide the group through, and I would do all of the scaring. So by accident, it's at this point, it's now four, you know, four thirty, five o'clock. Yeah. And we're like, well, where is everyone? Because Trevor, you know, came yeah. up and he was doing something upstairs. He goes, oh, I told him not to come in because you guys had the show covered. <laughs> so he fired all the people that were day crew. Wow. And accidentally, Dan and I developed the route of the two-man show and how it worked. Oh, wow. um, because people didn't... We were just coming in to pick up our checks. Wow. And then we ended up working. We're like, well, it's time for us to go. We're supposed to be off today. You know, yeah, we, yeah, we, have, yeah. we have stuff to do. Um, but after that, they started doing four-man shows and two-man shows. Wow. Because you, we showed it could be done. Yeah, and that kudos to you because, I mean, I have been through year-round attractions that were designed from the beginning to work on, like, a small amount of actors, but to actually sort of figure out retroactively how to make that work. Oh, and part of training was, you know, okay, so when you run through this hallway, you have to put on your scream robe here, and you hang your mask on this doorknob. So they're going to turn that corner, and while they're turning that corner, you have to take off the robe in a certain way so it lands in a pool. Mm-hmm. So that way you can just sto- shove your arms in it, and it goes over your head, and it falls down your body. Then you're in a scream robe, and when you get to the door, your mask is already hanging on the handle. Oh my and goodness. you put that on your head, you open this door, and the group is going to be right there. Yeah. Wow. And then you just do that backwards. You scare the whole group, close, you go back, you have another, I mean, but it's, and you're leapfrogging each other. So they're going and getting ready for this scare, you know. You're not seen as a clown. So all you need is a clown voice because, you, you know, we, didn't, we, we killed the lights in there so we didn't have to dress up. Yeah. You, it was a beanbag room and a yeah. trampoline-like hallway. You push on the outside of the trampoline hallway, they don't see you. You just make clown noises and voices. Yep. And then in the beanbag room, we, at that point, we just jumped up and unscrewed the light so they couldn't see us. Yeah. And they couldn't tell we were, you know, and the same guys. I have a question. Yes. What is a clown noise? Okay. That's, That's yeah. Okay. Noises, yeah. You know, <laughs> and I'm, you, I've you always I have fish for teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. What? Right. That's when you scare them while they're while they stop to think. You yeah. get them again. Yeah. I've always I've always and Scarehouse certainly does this, but I love that dichotomy of again this incredible Castle Grayskull facade, and then some of the most effective rooms would be beanbags and a guy behind a wall making clown noises but it it absolutely works my favorite scare tool at that time i had a broken badminton racket that i taped a garbage bag to okay and if you waved it around it made this crazy popping noise right 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 and just in a dark room i could have that kind of behind me and I can push the bags at them, and I can make this wop, 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 yeah. crazy noise. Yeah. And they just, they can't classify what it is. Yeah. And I can move it around the room, and that really freaks them out. I, I am so in love with that kind of stuff. And it, it's funny, in the last few years in particular, I've really been leaning into that and pushing our team to do more really old school stuff. Like, and, and it's almost getting, uh, almost hipster, like getting analog. Like, what can we do with these weird sort of physical things because there's so much in the industry and so much in the world now that's digital and electronic and these animations? Like, what can we do, like you're saying, with 
a, a beat up uh, beat up physical um, you know sporting instrument with some plastic on it or what we can do with like sporting calls or what we can do with like stuff with like glow in the dark masks or like really old school stuff from the 80s and 90s that people kind of haven't seen in 10-15 years and I have developed a recent love of pickup microphones oh the kind yeah. that you stick onto an acoustic guitar to make it a electric quasi electric yeah. guitar because you can stick them to anything yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you know if you just stick one of those to a piece of the corrugated plastic pipe oh, up cool. in the top of a hallway yeah and then you put it on an amplifier when the actor runs down the hallway with a paint stirrer stick <laughs> and goes, da, 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 that's a crazy loud noise yeah. yeah you know or he can yell into that tube and yes. then the pipe distorts it and the mic picks that up well, and I know from talking with you and seeing some of the things that you're offering at, at trade shows, you also sort of appreciate the idea of, and I'm a big fan of like David Lynch, of the weird, surreal things. Because I think in so many haunted houses and in so many horror movies, they tend to go for, oh, okay, here's the loud, you know, here's the big scream, here's the loud demon noise, here's whatever. But when you think of the movies or the things that have really freaked you out, you know, like in terms of horror movies, it's grudge or it's things of like, what is that bizarro sound? You know, if I'm going through, me personally, if I'm going through a haunted house and I hear some pre-recorded demon sound of blah, 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 I'm like, okay, I know that's like an animation. But exactly what you're talking about, if I hear some weird discordant pap, pap, pap noise, it's... Alan, Alan well, and, with a paint stirrer going across corrugated plastic, that, like what? That, that the actor is making that noise. Yeah, that's what's cool. You know, yeah, that's that happening yeah. for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. That, that's that's kind of neat. Yeah, and it's, but yeah, to do that weird, cool stuff. You know, um, uh, a spool of bailing wire. Yeah, but you string that spool out. Yeah, and you put the contact mic on one end and you hang it with with wire. And then uh, that makes a crazy noise. Yeah. And while everybody's looking up at that, you know, then the actor can just come right up under them <laughs> and get that great scare. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> okay, that's making that noise. That's that's really weird. Yeah. So uh, after Skull Kingdom, what happened? What happened next? So while I have to go into while I was at Skull Kingdom, I wanted to or I started. It was a regular job. It was 40 hours a week of scaring people. Mm-hmm. And I got vacation time. Oh, wow. I'd always take my vacation time in October. And the first two or middle two weeks of October, because Skull Kingdom really didn't get that busy in October. Mm, it's a, interesting. We're, our busy months are June. June, July, because it's a year-round tourist trap type haunted mm-hmm. show. So it wasn't a big deal. I could take my time in October... I went up and I worked at Spooky World in Massachusetts. Oh, wow. And I learned there, wow. you know. Um, okay. I went and I, you know, work at haunts in California, work at a haunt in, you know, Colorado. I could go around the country mm-hmm. in October and work at a different show and learn everything that they do different, you know, yeah. whether it's I get this kind of hinge, you know, and mm-hmm. it lets lets me do this on our doors or just there's so many different things you pick up. Yeah. Before the 90s, there was what I call goldfish bowl haunting. Okay. Every haunt was its own individual goldfish bowl. Okay, yeah. That's and true. those goldfish swam around their goldfish bowl. They knew their goldfish bowl, and they made up everything in that goldfish bowl. Yeah. It was rare for a goldfish to jump out 
and go into another goldfish yeah. bowl yeah. and say, oh, well, they do it this way over here. It's way easier to do it that way. Yeah. But you do this better. Yeah. And I became a goldfish that hopped from bowl to bowl and learned all these things. That's now there's the internet. Yes. Yeah, you know? 100%. But this yeah. was kind of before. Yeah. Before it really was laid out that there's, you know, all of this information overload now. Um, but I learned so much going from show to show. Mm-hmm. Well, when I went to Texas to work at a haunted house in Texas in October mm-hmm. of 2001. Was that 2001? My wife came through. Mm-hmm. She did not know that she was my wife yet. That was, I was going to ask that. <laughs> was she your um, wife at the time? <laughs> she yeah. did not know that she was my wife or was going to be my wife. Oh, okay. And did you? Yes. Oh. The moment I saw her. Aww. It was, it was every everything kind of went black and white and she was in color the moment she walked through the gate. Oh and I'm like, okay, that's my wife. And I, I'm in a giant monster costume and I don't break character. I'm not going to stop and talk to a girl. Right. That's not going to happen. So, but luckily, she was taking pictures with a digital camera, which those were kind of new. Yeah. You know, digital cameras. Cutting edge. Right, exactly. Yeah. And um, so, but she's been taking pictures all night. So, I told the security guard out of sight, this woman's been taking pictures. Give her my email address. Say, I would like copies of the pictures. And every... so Play on, play Once Once she (laughs) sent me an email... I ended every email with a question, so she had to email Respect. me back. Respect. Yeah. Nicely done. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then what happened well, next? I moved back to Florida. Oh. Because I was only there for a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, I was there as a director of actors and mm-hmm. helping them build and that kind of stuff. And then I moved back. And I was making costumes at, at the time for Universal. Okay. So I was making dinosaur costumes. Oh, cool. For, for them to use in their Halloween Horror Nights. Oh, wow. So they were velociraptors that a stilt walker would walk. Yeah. And I was almost... Oh, cool. I, I, was, I was almost so, done with them. So that's why... Sorry, not to break the flow, but like you have been in so many like pivotal points in the haunted attraction industry because... Those, I'm the Forrest Gump of haunting. You are the Forrest <laughs> Gump of haunting because that, that uh, hour-long show that Universal did... It actually goes into detail about those, you know, that was on the Travel Channel and everything else goes into detail about those mm-hmm. crazy dress uh, bar costumes. Yeah, I got, I got to make, well, and they only did the haunt over at Islands of Adventure one year. Wow. And they're like, this is too hard. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, they moved it back. So, you know, now it's, it's on the other side and they, they only use them every now and then. But yeah. anytime there's a Travel Channel show, like, I made that. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But so... In the, in the midst of making those, I ended up, you know what? I like her. We're talking on the phone every now and then now. Mm-hmm. We're sending emails back and forth. I'm going to move to Texas. So I contacted the haunt that I worked at, and I said, I'm going to move to Texas. So if you'd like to use me year-round building stuff or whatever, you can. And at first, I tried working with Lance Pope at Thrillvania. Come on. I tried. Okay. They didn't. They didn't answer me back. Okay. They never. They never answered my email yeah. or or whatever. So I just ended up with this other haunt, and uh, and then when I was over there, it was just I kind of went from haunt to haunt as as things went. But we met and talked, and I was insane because you know imagine a guy telling you 
You're you're meant to marry me. We're meant to be married. You don't know me yet. Okay. Yeah. But we're we're meant to be married. We're going to be together forever. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm still considered crazy, even though I was right. Well. So yeah. what's going through your head? What's going through your head as Shannon? Shannon, Hello, wife. As he's <laughs> wife. As he's coming through with his, you know, very uh, subtle play, the the exact opposite of negging, I would say. Uh, well, uh, the the thing about about him was when I met him, and he can you hear me okay? Yeah, absolutely. When I met him and he was in costume, I was with a bunch of girls, and he came running up to us in the stilts with the horns and the fangs and the wings. And my girlfriend screamed and ran off like girls do, and I didn't run. I thought he was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. Because when I was a little girl, (laughs) when I was a little girl, I was the creepy kid who thought Chernabog and Fantasia was the sexiest thing ever. And so he looked like like Chernabog. I was in a giant bat costume with a 14th stilt. Bat costume, fourteen foot wingspan. Okay, yeah. And, and I thought he was beautiful. He was beautiful. He was absolutely beautiful. Instead of running away from him, I walked up to him and I looked up at him and I said, "You're beautiful." And I just thought he was stunning, and he was. He was absolutely beautiful. And uh, uh, you know, he he gave the security guard the number and engaged in conversation. I gave him the pictures. I didn't think anything about it, about the yeah. pictures, because everybody asked that. Can I get it? Can you send me the picture? Because again, it's, digital cameras were new. They were yeah. new. And, and so I didn't think anything about it, but I, we did start talking and, and uh, I thought, you know, he's interesting and, but he's in Florida and, yeah. you know, geography is your enemy. So I wasn't going to really be concerned about it until he told me in January of 2002, he goes, I'm moving to Texas tomorrow. And I thought, <laughs> so I thought, boy, I am in some some kind of trouble. Oh yeah. Uh, and so the first thing I did was I got his background checked. Yeah. Without fail, absolutely, I got his background checked. <laughs> He's crazy. So I got his background checked, and and uh, he moved to he moved to Texas overnight for a girl in in 2002 in January. But it was September of 2002 before I let him know where I lived. Right, because he was crazy. <laughs> Sorry, what I, I was just, right. I was right. <laughs> Sorry, it was a matter of just making sure. You know, the stories he told me when I met his friends and his family all, all checked out. His background checked out, and I just wow. had to wait and see because he was he was pretty amazing. But he was also saying things like, "When you're my wife, we're gonna do this and such and and." And wow. that is just some bold talk. Yeah, so if you ever realize, that if anyone listening realize, hey, I'm going to marry this girl, don't tell her. Yeah. Don't mention it. <laughs> don't, tell her. don't bring it up. <laughs> just let it happen. No yeah. matter, it doesn't matter that he was right. No It'll just slow down your, right. your time plan. But it was, it was just, I knew that I was in trouble. Slow down your time because plan. There was, there was good stuff here. And, uh, and I just knew that, that one day he's going to drop to a knee and no matter what I say everything is going to change now be honest Alan was this your move were you like every day you're like I love you and <laughs> you're going to be my wife and then she was the first one to win like huh and then you went alright that's the one no 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 <laughs> I figured no I I am such a work focused person uh-huh. uh huh in my youth it was I would have a girlfriend up until September uh huh and then it's haunt time if you're still here, great. Oh, if not, man. then you know, then that's fine. I feel like we should mention Alan's shirt. 
I feel like we should. Yes, since, yes. Since, since you're listening to this and you obviously can't see it, Alan is wearing a beautiful shirt that is a pattern that it's it's blue with jack-o'-lanterns in a cemetery and owls and bats and black cats. Every year I buy the new Halloween fabric and I get six to ten new shirts made. Because I want, I want to be Halloween. Yes, you know. So I, I, I tend to wear these at shows. They're wait. subtle. <laughs> They're not. But you know. So wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that the guy who saw Lady and said, "You're going to be my wife," is not subtle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's no. Like before. I said, I knew I was in. I knew this was not going to be. An ordinary adventure. Yes, I knew I was in for it, and and I just you, you better be ready. And I guess I was ready. So, is it safe to assume that both of you were essentially monster kids that you were both into, like Halloween? And absolutely, I was. I was the creepy kid, little girl in the neighborhood who did home haunts, and I met him because I loved Halloween. I love haunted houses, so I get all my friends, and every day. Every night we would go to different haunted houses. Yeah. And and so, you know, I was that strange little girl that my parents went, why doesn't she want to take ballet? It's oh, because that's I great. want to put this candle on this skull and melt this wax down, and I want to make this. But it, they're like, but it's April. You should be picking, <laughs> you should be picking flowers and, and dancing. And I said, ah, and I liked pumpkins instead of flowers, and I was just that weird kid. And for people who might not realize, Texas is definitely one of the hot spots for haunted houses and the whole Halloween industry. Now, I, I was moving for my wife, mm-hmm. who was not at that point in time my wife, yeah. or even, as far as I knew, interested in me. But I had a plan. Um, but I also knew Texas was a great market, you know? And why is that? Why do you think Texas... I mean. What what is I mean I understand being from Pennsylvania you know the whole East Coast has that sort of Halloween vibe you know we're used mm-hmm. to the, the leaves changing and things like Texas is not known for that what is what Texans is... like to yell at people okay. <laughs> they they can handle being loud to each other they can handle a little bit of wildness okay and I think that is part and way back you're the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That is, of course... Come on, that's excellent. What okay. a huge yeah. horror movie yeah. as a standard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's that kind of links in everybody's mind Texas and a certain kind of haunted house. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. You know, so that Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which, I mean, five-year-olds have heard of that movie. Yes, okay. yes. They haven't seen it, I hope, but right. they've heard of it. Right. Um, and, but, so that puts... Texas in the same brain as Haunted Houses and Halloween. That's fantastic. So, um, you're working at a haunted house, you meet your future wife, what happens next? I load up two Velociraptors into my Ford Aspire, which is a very small hatchback car. (laughs) Okay. Um, I was pulled over twice on the drive, but I got no tickets. Because the stuff in the back of my car that they could see was so interesting. Okay. They just wanted to talk about, well, now what is this dinosaur? What is this? Yeah. Once yeah. I, they're like, because, you know, once they, they find out I'm not a murderer or something. Yeah. You know, then they want to talk about the cool stuff in your car. Well, I moved to Texas. I work with that haunt for a while. In that, 
year round working a haunted house as a as a grunt. I'm not an owner. I'm none of that. Uh, I'm going to direct the show. I'm going to get everything built up for the next season. They had had a good season when I was there, so they were ready to make a move to hire one person full time to work on this park. There were six owners, mm-hmm. and money got involved mm-hmm. when it was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's a lot of work, but it's fun. Now money's involved. There starts to be some suing back and forth yeah. and that kind of stuff. So in that meantime, I started a business to sell to haunted houses. Um, I started making my masks and costumes and things for sale. And that went pretty well. And I stopped doing that for that company. I laid low a little bit. I then started a mythical monster museum at the Renaissance Festival, which was so I'm a monster maker. I make monsters. Mm-hmm. Well, I had all these molds, and I thought if I can get a space at the Renaissance Festival, and the story there is there's two monster hunters, me and my friend Dan, who was the other guy who did the two man show, actually was my partner on this. Oh, very cool. And he's a graphic artist, so he did all of these. When I was a kid, the monster manual for D and D was my favorite book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I this remember is through that. Yeah. the Monster Museum is you walking through the Monster Manual. Okay, very cool. So there's a plaque with a drawing and the information on the monster, and then a monster that I've made. You know, a physical, so I, either a cut-off head or whatever. And I thought that was the coolest thing, because customers would... I didn't have to have any actors or anything. You yeah. know, you just so dressed cool. up, oh and, and you, you talk to people, <laughs> and... They give you $3 to just see the stuff that you made. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to give it to them and then make another one. Yeah. And I thought that was great. <laughs> <laughs> and so for a while, my existence was working for a haunt in October. Um, I was at that point what I considered a premium actor. So mm-hmm. I would I requested I'd do whatever you wanted during September and October. And I was between five hundred or a thousand dollars per week, which is kind of high. Yeah. yeah. Even now, but you know, this was from two thousand to two thousand ten. I kind of did this, mm-hmm. and I worked for whatever haunt wanted me, basically. But I do actor training. I do makeup. I would. I did a lot of stilt costumes at the time, yeah. so I would do as much as I could while I was there. Okay. And often I would work, you know, and then I would leave a stilt costume behind me so whatever I was wearing, they could, Mm -hmm. you know, have someone else in or whatever. And then that was my October, and then April would come around, and I would do both Transworld and sell masks and costumes, and that's also when the Renaissance Festival was, was April and May. And, but those three things made up my money for the year. It wasn't huge, but, Mm -hmm. you know... If I if I worked, I could make about seventy thousand, which clears you about thirty five, forty thousand, and you can live off that. Yeah. You know? And you were doing what you loved. And doing you know? what I love every single day. Yeah. And when when did you guys get married? Two thousand four. Very good. No. <laughs> uh, November of two thousand four. Uh, I had done a haunted, and this was, I had a booth at Transworld. And some people came by. And in 2000, what was the first year for Terrain of Terror? Three. So in 03, they had the idea. Again, this is a Forrest Gump of haunting moment. Yeah. Because this is 2003. I had had the idea already, but I hadn't done anything with it. 
and they had su- has said something similar. We did a paintball hayride. Oh, yeah. Oh, 2000. Yeah. In 2003. <laughs> Sorry. So of course, you know, it. I didn't know anything about paintball. I yeah. was a fool. You know, we built we built these cool custom trailers, but it was easier for us to load the tanks if we laid them down. Mm-hmm. Well, if you lay down a CO2 tank, you're shooting liquid CO2. <laughs> it instantly froze every paintball. <laughs> oh, and oh we dear. called it Monster Safari. Oh dear! And yes. it was you know paintball. And there was 14 people on a side. I did the math. If if every shot hit, then every stilt actor because I made stilt costumes for all the monsters. There are 10 monsters on the course. If every shot hit each actor evenly, they got shot 8,880 times per hour. Mm. <laughs> so. We don't, we're not friends with anymore. No. <laughs> there there was no paintball armor at t- that time. Nope. There nope. was... I mean, <laughs> it did not exist. Nope. No one had done it at that point. So, you know, four or five years later, that trend starts. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Yep. Because <laughs> I've done it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember somebody who was one of the early... Well, not as early as you, but was getting into that. And him saying... Yeah, I'm having a hard time uh, getting actors to come back. I'm like, yeah, I have no inf- insight for you. But I... the lessons that I learned there, I mastered the Braveheart speech <laughs> in order to <laughs> rally these troops because they would come walking down the field with their mask in their hands. Nine times out of ten, I could talk to them God and they would you, go back out and at yeah. least finish the night. Wow. At least finish the night. Um and Lord of the Rings had come out around that time. <laughs> yeah. So, and I had a four-wheeler that I, because this was a big park, and that was one of the things at the park. Every single night, I would go up there, and we'd have a ceremony for all the actors that we did in front of all the actors. Okay. Of all okay. the shows. And I would dip my hand in white paint. I'd put it on their chest like Sauron. Sauron, yeah, and, very nice. Yeah. And everybody would cheer, and then we'd do the next guy of those ten. Well, that made the other people think that they wanted to do it, you know. So basically, every weekend we'd have two quit, you know, and then I'd get four who said, I want to do it. I want to be right. out there. Mm-hmm. And then they'd quit. And some guys were so good in the haunt, I wouldn't let them go to paintball because I knew I'd lose them, you know. Wow. But, but yeah, and it, it really taught me a lot about morale and how mm-hmm. to get people motivated and how to keep them motivated. Yeah. Despite miserable conditions. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, even it's, even it, it is such a emotional and physical toil acting in any kind of haunted attraction, but especially if you're getting hit with paintballs, that's got to be pretty darn intense. Well, it's, and a lot of, you know, haunts say, you know, what can I do to be, have a leader, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be you, but have a leader that people are willing to follow. Yeah. Um, doesn't have to be you. It can be you. It could be somebody who you see and you empower that person as the owner. Um, one of the best compliments I got was an actor who said, you have a troop of people here who would, if you said, let's storm the gates of hell and all we have is water pistols, we're going to go. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and if I may, I think that people that you are leading, you personally as, as cast members, you clearly have put in the hours. You know, you are not just you are not just communicating this because you are you want them to work a little bit harder because you're controlling the bottom line. Like 
it's hard. <laughs> you literally have made such big sacrifices and done so much for the craft of acting in a haunted house, and you are so passionate about it. They can sense that. You know, they're yes. not. They're they're following you because. You are not just the guy who came in on the RV and like, ah, oh, we need to work an extra half hour, so I'm gonna say the rah rah speech. Like, it's in your blood, it's in your veins, and they can feel that. I would suspect. Absolutely, and it's it, you know, be able to jump in there and and help and do it and demonstrate. And you know, I am. We do eight shows a year at dark hour, and I'm in the show for about half of those. Okay, I just put myself in a spot. Yeah, you know, now I won't give myself like one room. I'll say I'm going to work, you know, all of the manor, which is about a third of the show. Mm-hmm. And but you know, if the energy comes down, you just run through, and you can bring that energy back up. Now, and you were, in, forgive me if, I, if I'm wrong, but you were involved from Dark Hour from the inception. Is that correct? Not from the inception. Okay. Uh, there was one. There was an artistic director when they bought the building. There were some differences and some issues. Okay. That artistic director went out, and then another artistic director stepped in. Okay. And I worked for them before they stepped in. Okay. And that's when we came up with the whole concept and plan Mm -hmm. and all of that. And then as the building was going, they just kind of stopped showing up to work. Okay. Thinking director, executive level. But you can't do that with a haunted house. You Mm -hmm. know, there's drywall guys, and it was... We had seven weeks to open, so they needed someone there every single day mm-hmm. to make decisions because you'd put up a wall before you went to lunch. You'd run 15 minutes and grab lunch. When you got back, that wall was painted black, and there was electric run on top of it. Oh, oh my goodness. We were that tight and on top of everything Yeah, uh, to be open. and say It was a 50,000-square-foot building. It was a 35,000-square-foot show space. Wow. And it was seven weeks to get it up and open to a decent level of quality. That's fantastic. It was not fantastic. It was well, terrible. No, it's fantastic that you got it done. I almost died. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but that, I mean... That that's what it took, and in that, in the course of that, the 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 owner Lucy and Mike is our COO. Um, they said, Alan, I think we want you to be the director, and they kind of asked the other guy to stop showing up. Okay. So it, I mean, it worked out. I just I would just be there working, and you know, I'd come home, and it'd be a week and a half, and she'd say, Honey, did you get a raise? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, and that's what it was because. I was originally the guy who was going to come in and paint the voodoo section, mm-hmm. and then it was okay. Can you do this? Can you do this? And and, mm-hmm. and then hey, your director. That's well. I mean, and I reference uh, you. Well, I reference your seminars in a couple different ways, but the seminar in particular that you did a few years ago at Trans World, where you talked about the whole year-round approach, because it I, I thought it was so interesting with the whole concept of all the different witches and how it's. Again, I'm a huge movie nerd, but it's almost like each one of those off-season events, comparing it to, say, the Marvel Universe, almost like each one of those off-season events is sort of its own individual standalone movie building up to October. And And again, these are not just when you're doing these other events, it's not just like, oh, this is a Christmas show, so we're going to put Santa hats on, as I said earlier, like... 
you're doing lighting changes, you're, you do a blackout show, you do... Now, am, am I, are you still doing a... Am I right in remembering the musical experience? Yes, we still do a musical. Because one, one, of, one of the witches is Maydina. She's a Maynad. And what they did was they would, you know, give you creative inspiration at a fever pitch, and you know, and it would it would kill you. You would die from dancing yourself to death, you know. Um, but that was her power. So that is our art show. At the end of it, we have a, a space that is a dark art gallery, you know, where we have different dark artists come in and, and you know and display their work. But the show is you go through, and the formats change a little bit as we figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. what does the audience want? You know. Um, most of them don't want a musical, by the way. <laughs> but um, the format we're, we're on is there are raised areas throughout the show. There are high stages, meaning, you know, the roof of something, the, the top of something. You know, maybe there's a giant refrigerator and we put a stage up there. And that is lit and there are live performers on that, live musicians, playing to one backbeat through the whole show. Okay. So you might go into one area and there's all these devil creatures and this person is playing a sitar, but that drum beat is still the same. That's fantastic. And then you go into the next area and there it's a cello. You know, and they're, you know, it's all grim reapers and because they're very simple costumes and things mm-hmm. for this particular show because it's divided up into like nine different areas. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm I'm because I have also been doing haunted houses for so long, I tend to zero in on things like you're doing a musical show because that's so wonderful and and unusual. But I want to stress to anyone who's listening, the the shows as you said earlier, like it's still high intensity. There's still scares as you said every ten feet. Absolutely. The Halloween show, like well, and that's all that elevated stuff is, is we light those stages, we light those elevated platforms. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a dark show underneath. And that, we tie that in with Walpurgisnacht is the show name. Um, and that is a halfway to Halloween festival. It's okay. kind of like 10 years ago, I'm saying Krampus. Krampus is awesome. Krampus is cool. And no one knew who Krampus was, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. And now people know who Krampus is. You know, there's yeah, a movie and there's Krampus walks all over yeah. the place. That's, I love that. Well, Walpurgisnacht, I think, is going to be the next thing that the states borrows or the haunted yeah, industry borrows. Makes sense. Yeah. It's halfway to Halloween on the calendar. Mm-hmm. And depending upon where in Europe you were, it was either a night to go out and hunt witches or it was a night where you stayed in because the witches went out to party. That's fantastic. So um, everybody gets an orange glow stick, which is a, a symbol of the torches that they would carry as they mm-hmm. went through hunting witches. Well, you found them and it's their party. So as you go through, you're going through this witch's party, you know. Are you a reveler also? Are you dinner? That gets decided by how you react and if they catch you. So is it, I mean, you know, you've been doing this for a while. Is it, I mean, not just at dark hour, but going to the trade shows. And I I know, I think I know the answer to this question, uh, given the shirt you're wearing. Is it still fun for you? Do you still get that same sense of the fun and adventure that, first attracted to you to all this yes still love haunted houses still love halloween my job now i deal more with people yeah that makes you tired (laughs) you don't you don't hire i have no idea what you're talking about you don't hire billy you hire billy and his set of problems (laughs) and billy's crazy ex-girlfriend and you hope 
that all of his problems happen on a schedule that allows him to come into work and get things done. Wow. You mm-hmm. hope that That's really poignant. Billy's mm-hmm. crazy ex-girlfriend calls him after he's mm-hmm. off work mm-hmm. and doesn't say, hey, I just murdered your cat before uh-huh. he comes in. Uh-huh. Um, and you have, you know, I have 20 Billies every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a haunt night, you have a hundred. Yeah, yeah. And and sidebar, God bless you, because you just hired Billy. I've been known to hire Billy and the crazy ex-girlfriend and put them both in the same room. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> that that happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, but still fun for you, still. Absolutely, it's still fun. Um, there's power in chaos. Yes. And it's kind of when you're running a show... You're the guy who's swimming on top of the avalanche, mm-hmm. you know, because the show is going. The actors are the, are the avalanche. They're all the energy. And you hope that you can keep your head above water and guide where you need to go because mm-hmm. that power is happening. The actors are going to make your show one thing or another, you know, and you don't always have control when they're in that room. You, a good haunted house actor has to be really smart. Yes, it is not it is not for dumb people you have to be really smart because a good haunted house actor he knows where he is in the show and 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 by that it's pacing what's happening in the next room is that a stop stopping point did i just send a group there where maybe i want to charge this group and send them back just a little bit to mm-hmm. give them a little more time has it been a while, and I need to get behind that group by taking, you know, a back passage mm-hmm. and chase them down towards that gathering point? Did someone just fall down and hurt themselves, and I've got an EMT in the next room, mm-hmm. and now I've got to do a tap dance not only for this group to slow them down? Yep. You know, I can grab the talker out of that room who's just standing there watching an ankle get bandaged. We'll just talk in this room. I'll scare in this hallway, you know? Is that the decision that I want all of my actors to make? Which is a scary thing, that Mm -hmm. they're making those kind of things and they're empowered. Yeah. But there's so much we have to rely on, just not for a 16-year-old boy to grab boobs in the dark. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's... Well, and, and, and you have done videos and seminars and things, but, I mean, so many different... Not only so many different ways to to scare people, but understanding as the director of... It is this sort of symphony of, okay, I've got a bunch of this kind of scares in a row, so now I need to change it up. And I think that's something that you're always yeah, at the a show, of. a show full of talkers, a show, I mean, that's not, it has its own strength, you know. Um, Castle Blood's in your, in your market. Yes. They're in your yeah, area. Yeah, 100%. That's a show full of talkers. There's some yeah. little scare points in between. Yeah. But he hits a very particular set of notes. Yeah. You know. And then there's there's other shows which are they all jump out every actor jumps out and yells in your face mm-hmm. you know and bangs the wall next to you with a pipe or something well that's that's another set of notes yeah and you know you don't want your rule giver to jump out and scream in their face and hit the wall with a pipe and <laughs> and that's the whole note for the whole show yeah you, know, you have to mix that up well and you uh, you know you came out last year to Scarehouse and Basement. And so you saw that what we tried to do, too, is, like, there's a whole, like, you know, certain level of notes, if you will, that we're hitting upstairs and then a certain level of intensity and immersion that we're hitting downstairs with 
actresses such as Jennifer Downs here sitting on my right. Um, and it is that same thing. It is like, for me, when we developed The Basement almost four years ago now, I was very, um, very insistent that we say that Basement still has a very similar point of view of Scarehouse Upstairs, that it still has, you know, female empowerment, sense of humor, um, not making people feel victimized, making people feel like, oh, I want to go through this. I want to come out feeling like it's that rite of passage. I've done the thing. But downstairs is certainly a more adult experience. It's more 18. <laughs> it's I've used this analogy a lot. It's, you know, if upstairs is a medium hot wing, downstairs is a little bit more of a spicy hot wing. And so um, I'm just curious, putting you a bit on the spot here, you know, you coming out, what were some of your reactions to Basement <laughs> last year? Um, I'm going to talk for a second about a movie that I don't necessarily like. Okay. But, um, and I, I have trouble thinking of the name. Who's in it? It's, it's a whole series. Foster? No. It's it's like that, but it's it's about he judges you. And oh, the Saw films. Saw. Yeah. Okay, that is about choices. Okay, and it is a pivotal haunted house. It's a pivotal horror movie. Yeah, because nothing has been about the choices of the victims before that. Really. Oops, sorry, I'm professional. And I remembered to turn my phone off. No, I didn't. I, I muted mine. Mine's on mute too. Not the first time that's happened, by the way. I really think that that branch of haunts is kind of the saw of haunted houses. Mm -hmm. Because you're there, you're you're obviously made the choice to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you've made the choice to go. And then things are happening to you, and you really have to choose how you react. Mm -hmm. Because it's very easy to go one way or the other. But either way, it's your choice. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the coach can come in and yell at the basketball team for slacking and half of the half of the players are gonna say, Man, the coach is a jerk for yelling at us. Mm-hmm. The other half is gonna say, I have to run harder. Yeah. You know, and when you do a show like the basement, sometimes you the the answer is I I wanna live more. You know, I want I want <laughs> yes. I need to make more weird, crazy choices. Yeah. Um I just think it's a it's a nice option. Mm-hmm. I think it's neat. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You know, it, it it's neat, and it's it fills a niche that your average haunted house doesn't or mm-hmm. could not do safely. Yes. Well, and I, I have often, when talking about what the basement is and isn't, could be a whole separate podcast, but I've often said, Scarehouse in particular, we make it very, very clear what the experience is, you know, from the website, from the point you buy the ticket, when you sign in, the first character, the greeter who goes through all this. My issue is always going to be if there are haunts that are doing that kind of thing and not preparing people for it, that's a problem. Or just the idea of the of the actor touching the customer, that's incredibly potent. And even though in Basement, you know, our performers are touching the people, that is in such a controlled, intimate, immersive kind of environment... I actually, that obviously doesn't bother me because I'm producing that event, as opposed to I've been in other sort of high throughput haunted attractions where, oh, the actor just touches you on the shoulder. I'm like, no, 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 no. That actually 
bothers me quite a bit because if person, you know, if you're doing one of these high throughput 2,000, 3,000 people uh, an hour haunted attractions and you're occasionally touching people, I'm like, that irks me. But that that could potentially be a whole other podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, because I could get into that too. It's To me, that's forbidden fruit. Yes. You don't touch. Yeah. Because you don't have anywhere else to go. Yes. There's no further that you can go with that. Yes. Um, there's something that I call in Haunted House Act, it's called promise breaking. And everybody has seen it where there's an actor with a fake machete. Yes. And he swings it at your head and he stops it a foot before it would hit you. Did he just change his mind? <laughs> yes. No. He, <laughs> That's fantastic. He broke yes. his promise to you. Yes. By looking at him, by looking at the way he moved, the way he held the machete, yeah. his promise was, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to cut your head off. Yeah. And as soon as he got to that point and stopped, he broke that promise. Yeah. So Haunted House acting is all about finding a way to not break that promise and still be intimidating. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Let them escape. When we did, um, you know, for years we had a, a Pittsburgh Zombies attraction. I was very proud of it, but that was certainly something we struggled with of finding a reason for the zombie not to eat you. Like, you know, you could only do so many times, like, ah, the zombie got distracted or tired. Or, you know, like, <laughs> at some point, like, creating that exactly what you're talking about, like, breaking the promise, breaking the, the thing. It's it's tricky. I do an exercise with my actors. Um, and it's it's called the, the haunt the zipper, is what I call it. And it's every actor in my show, or whoever's at that training, could be 100, could be 200, and they're 20 feet apart, and they're shoulder to shoulder, and they make an alley. And then I take six people who walk down the center. Mm -hmm. And as they walk down the center, they get attacked by everyone who, and, but they're walking at just the right pace. They can't speed up and they can't slow down. Yeah. Well, if an actor down here gets in front of them, they die and it's over. Yeah. You know, if the, if an actor at the end blocks them. So it's about walking towards them and then turning and just, everybody just misses them as they pass by. Because then there's constant pressure on them, but they never got slowed down and they never got touched. Mm-hmm. That is what the haunted house should be. Yeah, just spread out with some turns. Well, and we have certainly, and, I, and again, for people who might not realize, you have done videos, you've put things online, uh, you've done very gracious with seminars uh, at Transworld at this show. And even, Jen, you've gone through scarehouse training every year. You might not even realize that some of the exercises and things we've done have that come from Alan. That familiar. No, yeah, yeah. What, what you're describing, we definitely did that. Yeah, well, it's there's there's certain exercises that I tend to use over and over and over again because they, because they work. They, they, they <laughs> work. They yeah. work. They, they, they give the actors an aha moment mm-hmm. because, you know, as an owner, as a director, you look at it from above and you have to see... You have to see what's going on. You have to see more things. And I think a haunt actor, when they first come in, they think, I stand in this closet, and when the group comes by, I jump out and I scare them. And there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to know, should I scare on a level 10 because I'm near the end and i got to get that pump up? Or am I, you know, towards the beginning and I don't want the rest of the show to be a letdown, so I might I might come in at a 7 or a 6, you yeah. know? That's, that's all part of why they should be smart people. And... Alan, and apologies, by the way, there's somebody talking very loudly in one of the other hotel rooms. Um, the uh, What 
similar to Scarehouse, but you have been very open, as we're saying, with uh, instructing people, giving advice, you know, not just in seminars, but you've really been an early adopter of things like Facebook Live and doing the regular video series and things. And I know both you and I have had this experience of we're putting this information out there, but then there are a lot of people in the industry who are saying, why are you giving away our secrets? Why are you giving away this information? So what what was it that sort of inspired you to be so open with this information and educating people and putting that stuff out there? I grew up with goldfish bowl haunting. Okay. You would, you would literally, they would kick other, if you, someone acted for another haunt, they wouldn't let them through their show. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, they yeah. were afraid they would steal secrets. Mm-hmm. And that made me so angry, even as an actor, seeing it done. You know? No, they love haunted houses the most. They should come through here. They should enjoy this. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a bad time in the 80s and early 90s, mm-hmm. as far as haunting goes. But being in that market and seeing how, you know, and in, in seeing that in several markets, sharing information... If someone goes now as an owner, I know if someone goes through a bad haunted house, mm-hmm. they won't go through another haunted house for maybe ten years. Yeah, because haunted yeah. houses are bad. Yeah, if they go through a good haunted house, mm-hmm. they will go to another one next weekend. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So, why don't I want every haunted house to be good? Mm-hmm. Then you know, and then if I can get the whole world loving haunted houses. I don't have to convince them to go to a haunted house. I just have to convince them to come to mine. <laughs> yes. And, and that's that's what we're seeing now with Christmas. So many haunts are open now at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. I don't have to convince them to come to a haunted house at Christmas anymore. I just have to convince them to come to mine. Yeah. And we're doing that with St. Patrick's Day. We're doing that with Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day has been... Whew, yeah. But that is happening now at all other times of the year. Mm-hmm. Halloween is awesome. Haunted houses are more viable than just Halloween. Yeah, yeah. As a form of entertainment. Yeah, 100%. Um, I've said that like five times, 100%. That's so it's my... like 500% now. It is, it absolutely is. That's, that's how much he's behind what you're saying. There you go. Yes, like 500%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so I had told Alan that this would take like half an hour and that apparently was a lie. Yeah, how long How's has it been? Uh, I think we're at, it looks like an hour and ten minutes. Oi. Sorry. Oh. Okay. All right. Stop saying interesting things. Yes. But, no, I mean, no more. In the same way, I, I will say this, in the same way you were talking, you know, when I was saying what I think makes you so inspiring and makes you good leaders, people can sense that you, I think I can say this and still maintain our PG-13 rating, you give a shit. You are... You know, that passion comes through. And I think that is a thing that I personally say when people will come to me and say, why are you giving out this information? Why are you doing all these videos? I'm like, well, because anybody who's getting into the haunted house business or the haunted attraction business to make money has made a bad choice. Because you, even at the highest level and some of the mega, mega, mega haunts, when you talk to the people who own those shows, they are still working crazy long hours and they're doing it because they're very passionate. And those are the ones who are going to be going to your seminars, watching your videos, 
doing the things to make the show as good as they can. You know, the guy who, man or woman who is in the show just to make a quick buck, is not going to go, oh, okay, let me watch this seminar for an hour and figure out how to do it. Like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm just going to put some more money in radio advertising. You know, it's the passion begets passion. And I think that, there, as you say, the, with the fishbowl analogy, the more you put out there, the more you're rising up everyone's game and the more, like, here in, in the Pittsburgh market where we are, we have some fantastic shows. And, yeah, we also had problems years ago with certain haunts doing a lot of this old-school kind of doing crappy Google reviews or, like, undermining and stuff. Yeah. And guess what? They're not around anymore because customers catch on real, real quick. But But also what I see is if a haunt does come up and do that and they've they've watched my YouTube videos or they've been to a seminar of mine, they might trash other haunts in my market, but I'm not gonna do that to him. He's cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so that but why not if everybody shared, they would know that everybody is cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know? Very cool. I, and if I give away my secrets, then I have to make more. Yes. That that and that's is that's the joy of it, right? That is something um, I may misquote him, but I, I what Randy Bates has always said. He said, "Yeah, let them go ahead and steal ideas because they're stealing last year's ideas." Mm-hmm. And I I have said <clears throat> more than once uh, about certain attractions. Oh, uh, you know, coming you know this September. Good news, we're going to release our first look at what the competition's doing next October. So. Yeah, it, and I mean, the audience catches on. I mean, that's the thing I'm realizing now with with social media, with all this interconnect, you know, how everything's interconnected. Like, they will pick up. Like, you, the audience, our audience is so much smarter and so much savvier that they can sense when you're just phoning it in or when you're really passionate about it. And if you're really passionate about it and wearing a Hall- custom Halloween shirt, <laughs> they know. Uh, and I do the same thing with my company that vends to haunted houses. My goal is to get copied because I want to fill holes in the industry. Mm-hmm. So if I see a hole, I see a niche market for something, I'm going to fill that hole first. Yeah. I want other vendors to say, okay, there's money there. There's a market for that. That's a good idea. As soon as they start selling it, I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> I only have a certain amount of booth space. Yeah. You know? And I can put out stuff that's awesome. I don't want to make the same thing my whole life. Yes. Yes. There is, I am both floored and jealous of, floored in a negative way, but jealous of the 60-year-old guy, and he makes birdhouses, mm-hmm. and he loves making birdhouses, mm-hmm. and he's made birdhouses for 45 years. Mm-hmm. I kind of want that level of peace in my life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that is so not me. No, no. You know? Normally, each Christmas, I'll make something. It's wooden spoons one year. It, you know, and all my friends get a nice wooden spoon that I carved. Or it's birdhouses, but mm-hmm. it's not. I don't. I don't. You don't get a birdhouse every year. Yeah. Because I don't want to make them. Yeah. And it's the same is true with haunted house stuff. Yeah. You know? I don't want to make that make eighty. Yes, I make this cool thing. I'm not going to sell that for ten years. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping someone else knocks it off. Yeah. <laughs> I made it because there's a hole in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing half latex half masks now because that's what your grunts ought to be wearing. Yes. You can't put every. 
There's 20 silicone mask vendors at Transworld. I'm not allowed to buy any more silicone masks. I've been told. Because they're so, so pretty, and then nobody wears them. They're very pretty, but I can't... Most haunters cannot put one of the, all of their 30 actors in a silicone mask. No. So, yes, get five of those. Yeah. You know, get five of those. Get, you know, and then get 20 latex half masks or, mm-hmm. or makeup or what, figure it out. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be a mix. Yeah. And I started doing latex half masks so that there was a mix. Yeah. <laughs> if I may, and I know we're supposed to be wrapping up, but Jen Dallas, you wore a silicone mask uh, last summer at Kennywood. What was that experience like for you? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, one more time. What was that? Mm-mm. Okay. And yeah. Remember, I'm in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. facial sauna all the time. No. no. <laughs> but yeah, it's still a silicone mask. They're great in some instances. They are not the answer, they're a part of the answer. Yes. Yes, yes. You know, the stilt costumes. I don't think every actor in a haunted house should be on stilts. Mm-hmm. But you ought to have three. Yeah. You know, it hits a note that is missing in some shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, um, and and one last thing I would say too is something you're saying reminded me of. There are themes and concepts. You know, when when Scarehouse, when our design team gets together and we're looking at things we could do, we will absolutely go like, well, this is really popular right now, or this is that concept that hits. You know, to use a movie term, the four quadrants. Does anyone want to do that? And we're like, no. And and you just go like, we're more interested in this obscure, weird idea. And sometimes we go like, yeah, this obscure, weird idea, not unlike the musical, is not something that's necessarily mainstream. But we know, well, on some level, if we try to do the thing that's just chasing what's being cool, the audience will know, like, we're not really passionate about it. So we've actually had more success sometimes you know, you look at the summoning, you look at Creepo's Christmas, sorry, popping the pee. Uh, sometimes we've had more success in, you know what, sometimes we just lean into really weird stuff. You know, the Valentine's Day basement, we did this last time. And the audience can sort of comes with you on like, that is not something I would expect from you, but I can tell you guys are really into it. So I'm going to go with you. And filling that niche is is really exciting. The reveal Scarehouse when you came into the theater was one of the most gorgeous things I have ever seen when we saw it for, for Legendary last year because you walked into that that side entrance and there was this old theater and then you took us backstage behind the theater and we're still in the show and it had so much thought oh, yeah. into it and so much rich detail and I had just never seen anything that was one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen that and the the wooded part towards the end oh, i'll never yeah. forget that had all of the branches and, mm-hmm. the, and the that the sound you had going through there was one of the most unique haunt experiences going through oh, thank you never seen this before and, it, it, and we it, loved it it didn't make sense it's nope. not something you know what i mean <laughs> had um, no idea where it came from didn't care and it, <laughs> and, it and it works you yeah know? Um, you know, say you only eat blue pancakes loud enough and with enough feeling, other people will try blue pancakes. 
<laughs> you know, say it with conviction. Have, have you ever thought about a career as a motivational speaker? Because you've said so many things that could be like chapter titles in a motivational that is, paper. Yeah. That that is what. <laughs> That's what teaching on actors is. You are half motivational speaking because the job sucks so much. I mean, it's physically demanding. Yeah. The yeah. job is hard. Yeah. Um, you're half motivational speaker, and, you know, and you're half information to make their life easier. Yeah. And that's that's half of it. Yeah. If if I come and I talk to your actors before the show, you're going to keep more actors during the season. Because they just get excited to such a high level. What would you charge yeah. for something like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> this year I'm all booked. I'm uh, yeah. Well, that gives us a good segue. So as as we wrap up our um, thirty minute air thirty minute podcast podcast, um, Alan, how can people uh, find out more about everything that you offer? I'm pretty terrible at that, actually. Um, Send me an email, stiltbeast at gmail.com. Uh, Alan Hops on Facebook. I'm the. If it's a scary picture, that's me. Mm-hmm. If it's an old guy, that's probably my dad. Um, <laughs> I guess you can message him too, but he won't. Yeah, don't do that. Um, can we Google Dark Hour? Uh, info at Dark Hour. Go to the darkhourhauntedhouse.com website. Uh, Stiltbeast page on Facebook. Yeah, the uh, Stiltbeast Studios and Haunt Dogs on Facebook. Um, hauntdogs.com is my website where I sell actor hand props and videos and that kind of stuff your so YouTube channel? just put alan hops in google yes i'm the first <laughs> six or seven pages <laughs> and Excellent. alan is spelled a-l-l-e-n yes it is okay hops h-o-p-s except yes. in the cases where someone else like two wrote an piece. article or something oh two piece yeah. okay sorry. and then there's several spellings where you'll still get to me okay yeah a-l-l-e-n-h-o-p-p-s that's right yes that's okay. right and, and he's uh, on, you do Haunters Hangout live. Yeah, the Haunters Hangout is a Facebook group. Yes. Uh, you know, um, and your latex mask I, central. I do, yeah. Uh, there's another. She knows more about promoting oh, you than you do. I, I'm terrible at that. But <laughs> you, know, you, end, just, you just end up so busy, you know. Uh-huh. And like people will come to you and they'll say, hey, if you do this, you'll get exposure. The last thing I want is more work. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I'm so busy right now, I don't sleep. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, uh, look look for me online. You'll find me. You'll find me. My YouTube channel, uh, Still Be Studios. Mm-hmm. But again, you put me put that in YouTube. Search Alan Hops. My videos will come up. And subscribe to the YouTube channel. Sure. Uh, that I mean, here, almost I almost did a good segue. Um, subscribing to not just Still Beast but also the Scarehouse really helps I cannot stress whether it's subscribing to Still Beast to The Scarehouse on YouTube subscribing to this very podcast Scarehouse podcast uh, really helps all the sort of phantom algorithms that are out there that will help both of us reach new listeners is and new viewers is when you subscribe when you comment when you like when you review um, you know such a big part of my life now is playing the sort of social media metric uh, games and that's something I can tell you whether it's a YouTube thing whether it's a Facebook thing whether it's things like this podcast just taking a couple seconds to give it a thumbs up or say like I like this uh, all the various phantom algorithms that are out there will go like oh this is actually good content and let's make sure more people see it, it is really appreciated so a crazy thing I have never 
I don't even think about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just make my YouTube channel is Haunted House How To Videos. Yeah. Aimed at, in my mind, originally pro haunters mm-hmm. who are already doing this stuff. Yeah. It has been grasped by home haunters and mm-hmm. by cosplayers. I have 30,000 subscribers That's on my YouTube channel. Fantastic. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm thinking there's. I'm going to top out about 5,000 because that's about how many haunts there are. Mm-mm. That's what I was thinking. You, you know? thought wrong. And, and, <laughs> but it's, you know, cosplay is huge and, you know, that's a, oh, yeah. that's a whole other podcast as yeah. far as good, bad, how it's affecting the haunt industry or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's dressing up mm-hmm. is cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, we did uh, just earlier today. We did a Facebook Live here right when we got in the door and it's something where it was just uh jennifer and myself and some folks from froggy's fog and we're just sort of messing around with my phone and by the time we'd gotten back to the hotel room like huh 900 people have watched this already and it's the same with this podcast it's the same with the youtube videos like you think oh these digital things that we're doing the podcast the videos the facebook lives you know it's hard sometimes to go if I had to do a speaking, or you yourself, like, oh, if I had to do a speaking gig in front of thousands of people, I would probably be a little nervous. But it's hard sometimes to realize, like, there's a big audience listening to this. So I'm very grateful for that, and of it, course. And it, it builds. You know, you think you're doing something for that 100, 500 people. Yeah. And then, you know, 20,000 people have watched it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on, on for both of our sakes... Definitely appreciate all the support that Scarehouse at Still Beast is getting, but please subscribe, comment, review. Uh, and, and in terms of Scarehouse, sometimes I'm good at this, sometimes I'm not. But Scarehouse is everywhere. You can find us at Scarehouse PGH on Twitter, Scarehouse on Instagram, Scarehouse on Facebook, uh, The Scarehouse on YouTube, Scarehouse Podcast on iTunes. Feel free to subscribe and when you rate and review you help us reach new listeners am i missing anything jennifer dallas i don't think so <laughs> tickets for scarehouse are on sale now at scarehouse.com <laughs> if you join the scarehouse email list you'll get first notice on all kinds of savings and our addition info Ooh, savings yes yes i never got a scarehouse t-shirt by the way they were sold out of the one i wanted yeah. which one was that oh i bet i know which one it was yeah we sold out of going to throw that out there okay and um as per usual the scarehouse podcast we never know how to close or how to wrap this up so i'm just going to put jennifer dallas on the spot and have her say something that will be so mind-blowing and that will be the last thing we hear on this podcast (laughs) thank you and good night